1: Sit back and thrum to the vibrations of weird and wonderful science diffusing into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we'll feature the technology of the superpowers of Wolverine, snails of steel, and we test your psychic powers. But first up, here's the news with Aaron Cook.
0: (music) In tonight's news, disinfecting with the sun, mud sticks to nonstick cookware, and forget Iron Man, have you heard of Iron Snail? I'm Aaron Cook, and this is Diffusion News. First up tonight, researchers at the University of Illinois have developed an antibacterial chemical compound that's activated by visible light, a matrix made of titanium oxide and palladium nanoparticles is doped with nitrogen. When light strikes the matrix, electrons are dislodged and trapped by the palladium nanoparticles. When the light is turned off, the electrons are slowly released and can then react with water, producing oxidizing agents such as hydroxyls, which kill bacteria and viruses. One of the authors of the study, Jian Xiang said that their antibacterial effects can last for up to 24 hours. In other news, the stain-repellent chemical perfluorooctanoic acid, or PFOA, used in non-stick cookware and water-resistant fabrics, has been linked to thyroid disease. Researchers from the University of Exeter found that people with higher levels of the chemical in their blood have higher rates of the thyroid disease. Study author David Mautzer said a link had long been suspected and there was now a clear statistical relationship between higher concentrations of PFOA in blood and thyroid disease. And finally, a snail that lives in a hydrothermal vent field kilometres below the surface of the Indian Ocean has been found to have an iron-plated shell that could give clues on possible improvements to protective materials in everything from sports equipment to aircraft. The scaly-foot gastropod has a unique three-layered shell which consists of a highly calcified inner layer, a thick organic middle layer, and an outer layer fused with granular iron sulphide. The shell protects the snail from such bad guys as the cone snail that uses a harpoon-like tooth to administer venom, and crabs which have been observed to squeeze their victims for days until the mollusks pop out of their shells. Sounds like fun. I'm Aaron Cook, and that was Diffusion News.
1: Thank you, Aaron. Could you scientifically recreate Wolverine, the comic book superhero? Mark West, work molecular biologist, Dr. Christopher Pettigrew, aka Dr. Boob, from his slumber to investigate.
2: Well, Dr. Boob, we've awoken you from your Irish slumber on this wintry morning to talk to us about the superhero Wolverine. Are you awake enough to talk to us about Wolverine? Or do you need some more coffee? I'll probably need
3: some more coffee, but I'll give it a bash.
2: Well, what is a wolverine? What, what, uh, where does he get his name from?
3: Ah, the wolverine itself is a um, sort of a large land-dwelling mammal. Mainly lives in the, the northern tundras at the top of Russia and Nordic countries, as well as Alaska and Canada. It's a member of the same family as the weasel called the Mustelidae. Its official Latin name is Gullo-Gullo, or gulu gulu. I'm not entirely sure how it's pronounced. <laughs> but um, it's about the size of a medium dog. And it's got obviously a thick, dark, oily skin, which is really <clears throat> good for the cold weather's, resistant to frost and stuff. The other more remarkable feature about it is that it's known for having a really powerful strength compared to its size. So it's only about a medium dog, but it it can um, take down prey that's a lot bigger than itself. So it's, its nickname is a nasty cat or a skunk bear. Skunk bear also comes because it has rather. Uh, Strong scent glands that uh, release a pungent odor to get its
2: territory. Okay, so this is quite different to uh, what many people's perceptions of Hugh Jackman would be, who played Wolverine in the uh, movie. I, I don't presume he smelt.
3: Well, probably not in the movie, but yeah, I don't think they would have gone that far in terms of accuracy. <laughs> Well, they got it. They
2: got it correct because that was set up in the north of America, wasn't it?
3: In the original X-Men, yeah, he he certainly appeared right up in the north of Canada type area, and I think I think the comic books had him from from up there as well.
2: And so, which of these real Wolverine powers did the Wolverine superhero have?
3: Uh, well, he certainly had enhanced physical capabilities. Seems to be the the quote um, to describe him. So he had a lot of very animal keen senses in terms of very good eyesight and smell probably taste as well they were the the main things but also this healing factor so he was able to heal himself super quickly which he doesn't get from a real wolverine there's certainly nothing remarkable from wolverines in terms of their healing ability but the other factor i guess that he's most famous for would be his retractable claws in the movie He has these claws that come out through his his hands that basically reside in his forearm, but then when he gets the inclination, he's able to project them through his hands and has these three little bone-like claws that he can use that are very strong, and he likes to use them as a bit of a weapon.
2: And so when it comes to the healing, do you think we could possibly create that? Because that's something vampires have got as well. Is there anything in nature that can heal itself so quickly?
3: The organism in nature that's known for having the fastest healing powers is in fact the sea cucumber.
2: The sea cucumber?
3: Yes, they are the champions of organ regrowth, oh. according to a lot of published work in journals such as uh, Developmental Biology. I'm not entirely sure how we'd go about uh, taking the powers of the sea cucumber and, and putting them into a human.
2: So if you cut a sea uh, cucumber in half, it, it grows back, much like a lizard's tail or, or your liver?
3: Or I don't know if you're able to cut it in half and it'll grow back, but certainly if you give it a good deep slice it's able to regenerate its own nerves and certainly body parts. So okay. there's certainly potential there, but a lot of work still needs to be done. And what a- uh, Starfish are also pretty good for their regenerative abilities.
2: OK, so it's some, uh, there's some water. The sea-dwelling animals have have this thing, so we'd need to splice some of their genes together with that of a, a human and a, a wolverine to make this happen.
3: It's hard to, to say whether, we, um, <coughs> whether we'd need to do too much splicing or just enhance what we already have what i can tell you is that the repair process in these organisms have involve another special cell which i don't think we have called a moral cell and they move to the injury site and and aid in the whole recovery process but having said that the sea cucumbers uh healing process is certainly nowhere near as quick as the traumatic effect of the x-men so the odd bullet to the head won't quite be um able to be dealt with in the next five seconds, even (laughs) if we do successfully combine the sea cucumber's powers.
2: (laughs) We're not quickly solving that problem anytime soon. No, no,
3: that seems to be the tricky one.
2: And tell uh, tell me about, he's also got this implanted adamantium uh, metal, which is is some sort of man-made alloy. What's all that about?
3: According to the, um, the comic books and the, the, the movie theory, because of this wonderful healing powers he possesses they're able to fuse this adamantium which is I can confirm a fictional alloy ah. I fuse this to his, to his bone structure and give him sort of extra strength and rigidity. The, according to my sources, this fictional alloy contains 97% nickel, one1% titanium and two percent beryllium. Oh right. And it's supposedly the strongest metal
2: alloy So whilst it's fictional, we could make it, Mm. we have these ingredients.
3: We could make these ingredients. I'm not up to speed on making alloys, but it certainly seems feasible. But in terms of what is the strongest possible alloy or indestructible metal, that's an interesting question because how do you measure strength in, in metals? There's a few different ways of doing it in terms of tensile strength or yield strength. Or At the moment, the, the metals that would be suggested in, instead of fictional alloys. We'd be talking about, say, a carbon steel type uh, metal, which is the hardest alloy that we, we know, but it's incredibly corrosive. There's tungsten, which has the highest melting point. Okay. There'd be a few options there. or Maybe we could, you know, in our lab, cook up a new alloy that, that might even work better.
2: So is, is there any known process in which you can put somebody in a bath like they did with him, connect him up to some electrodes, and then replace all the bone in his body with metal, or fuse metal to all his bone like they did in the, uh, or, in the comics?
3: Well, give it a... Yeah, so they don't, they don't replace it. They just sort of give it a coating, from what oh, I right. can tell. right. Okay. Certainly there's no precedent for that. The, the closest I think we've got is in repairing broken bones and adding a, the odd screw here or there or a place. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of work there to be done. I certainly, I wouldn't recommend <laughs> doing the whole body in one hit.
2: That's right. And they, they did it amazingly without any invasive surgery, didn't they? They just sort of injected oh, no, in. It. Tremendous. Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, I we, think we, magnets could be involved. Oh, magnets are involved in everything and superconductors. That would work. <laughs> and we and we talked about his healing properties, but uh, he, he's got these claws that sort of uh, are retractable and burst through his skin when he gets cranky. Yep. Is there any precedent for this in nature?
3: Uh, good question. There is, but you'll never guess where it is his in fact. The sea cucumber? The frog.
2: Oh, the frog. Okay.
3: No, it's a frog. We've gone amphibian. Okay. There are 11 species of frog, actually, that have this sort of ability. Often when they're threatened, they flex a muscle that extends a barbed piece of bone out the skin on their fingers. Okay. And they can attack with, with these barbed spits. So it was actually picked up by a Harvard biologist called David Blackburn. And uh, he wasn't expecting to find it, but he was um, trying to pick up one of the frogs he was studying with. And it, it was lashing out at him with his hind leg, and it actually cut him a few times. Oh, right. Blackburn was quite confused and then realized what was happening. So, you know, it's hard enough finding a frog with claws, yeah. but the fact that they actually cut through the skin of the frog to, to reveal themselves.
2: Oh, so they didn't just sort of, like, like if, if, if somehow we were able to extend our fingernails on demand, they wouldn't cut through any skin, they just sort of grow. These ones they, burst through the yeah. skin.
3: These are exactly like um, the Wolverine character as well. They actually burst through.
2: And so what are, what are, what are the other precedents for Wolverine in nature? What are his other uh, skills?
3: Well, okay, so he's got this uh, great sense of sight and smell, and hearing. Yes, you can you know, see with great clarity and darkness and and whatnot. So I assume that m- more than just eating carrots there's possibly something else that's going on with his sight. Yes. Yeah, I think cats are quite quite well known for their uh, nocturnal vision and owls as well. So I think we might be able to work something out there. What have we got? Uh, so sense of smell. I think the obvious one there is dogs. Yes. So you think uh, scent hounds and bloodhounds can, can smell one to ten million times more accurately than human, more acutely as well. So that's probably the way to go there. The interesting thing about smell is that the number of genes that we have in humans are about the same as there are in a dog. It's just that our genes have been mutated over the years and aren't, aren't working anymore. Okay. So we would need to go back and then tweak these genes to make them work again. So no, that would be one of the easier ways we could get a sense of smell back.
2: And uh, because I'm just about to get kicked out of the studio and because you need to go uh, drive to <laughs> the airport to take your sister to China, if you had to rate uh, this out of 10 on our superhero scale, how possible is it we mm. could make a Wolverine within the next uh, within our generation? I'd say about 2%.
3: About 2%. I just don't see it happening. (laughs) I think bits of of Wolverine might be certainly more possible than
2: others. Okay, all right. So we're going to make mystique before we make Wolverine. Definitely. And we need to get in touch with our amphibian neighbours to make uh, anything happen with Wolverine, sea cucumbers and all that.
1: And that was Mark West talking with molecular biologist Dr. Christopher Pettigrew about the science and technology of Wolverine. I've got Mark and Aaron here in the studio. What do you think is the most unrealistic superhero, the most unbelievable superhero that you've read about or seen?
0: Well, look, to me, it's always been uh, probably the most famous. Um, I've, I've never really taken to Superman myself. Mm. Uh, maybe we're going to get a few angry emails in uh, over that comment. But um, not only... Uh, that he seemed to have the most amazing powers, he, he still just couldn't seem to get his, get his act together. Um, well,
1: you know, he was an immigrant. and <laughs> <laughs> He had problems. I mean, you've got to realise this guy had major psychological problems, right? He can't mate with anyone because they're all aliens. And he doesn't fit in. He looks the same, but he's completely biologically different. And he's got this whole secret identity hang up, right, in order to protect people so that uh, his friends and loved ones don't get killed by criminals trying to hold him at ransom. So he's got to he have a secret identity, which means he has to be detached. So he's got major emotional problems.
2: I guess all superheroes would have these emotional problems, because they all need to be detached, don't they?
1: Well, if they're going to have secret identities as the way of uh, protecting it, I mean, in the real world, the people with superpowers are people like the President of the US, right? Right. And he doesn't have a secret identity. He has armies of secret agents. The Secret Service main job these days, it used to be counterfeiting, but now it's to protect the president. So he's got a whole army at his disposal just to make sure that he stays alive and that nobody can blackmail him by kidnapping his daughter or doing anything nasty to people he knows. And so generally, they don't. Politically, that doesn't happen very much, right? Sure. None of the world's leaders have to have secret identities to exercise their superpowers. Uh, but what if the the world, every superhero does.
2: Well, what if the world is actually being run by a secret organisation? You know? Stonemasons, for instance. or uh, The Stonecutters. You know, the the Stonecutters or the, the Illuminati or whatever the Dan Brown uh, people are going on about. Maybe, maybe we do have secret identities.
1: Well, there could be lots of people who have secret... Well, all the spies have secret identities, right? right. In order for the spies to do their thing, they have to lie about who they are. But what if we actually had... Vigilantes going around righting wrongs outside of the law. Well,
2: these are the these are the superheroes that I like—the the comic book superheroes, Batman. Or uh, we were talking off air about the, uh, the the Watchmen characters. Yes. These guys are just guys that have chips on their shoulders, and some of them are rich and have you know really cool little doodads and whatnot. But they don't actually have any powers beyond uh, technology and their smarts. These are the well, guys exactly. I like.
1: This is what I liked about the Watchmen graphic novel and the movie was that. Most of the characters don't have special powers. They don't have adamantine skeletons. They can't fly. They can't do anything. Only Dr. Manhattan, who's been through an alternate history Manhattan experiment, which has merged him with the quantum universe in, in such a way that he's very, very super. He's more super than Superman ever was. But he's alienated, even though he doesn't have a secret identity.
2: Oh, he had massive problems. He, he had to had, go live on Mars, didn't he?
1: Exactly. He had, a, yeah. he had massive emotional problems because of his alienation. But everyone else was super fit, super athletic, or, and super rich so that they could have the toys. But otherwise, they were just folks.
0: Does that mean they're just heroes then and not superheroes? Yeah, maybe, maybe we shouldn't call them superheroes. Well, they're
1: masked vigilantes.
0: Right. Another thing is um, we were talking just before about uh, Wolverine and his sense of smell and his sense of his hearing and whether we could ever tweak that in in humans, I, I'm pretty sure I would not want a super sense of smell or a super sense of hearing, because I get on the bus these days, I can barely stand it <laughs> as it is. Um, ah, but you're
1: missing out the super part of it. It's one thing to have an amplified sense. The super part of it is to have control over it. Like There's no point in having super hearing if you're distracted by, every, by pin dropping upstairs somewhere, right? If you can hear all these things but not filter them out, then you're helpless. In fact, you're more helpless than a, a, a normal person. So you need to have the ability to listen for things when you want to listen and not listen otherwise or hear things that you need to hear. You need your brain to do super processing on your super hearing and super smell and super sight.
0: Well, this is it. I mean, um, the, this, the sense of smell and the sense of hearing, that it, it's something that I personally can't turn off. And, and, I, and I feel already too sensitive. I wouldn't want to be any more... Sight, maybe, because you can always close your eyes. I could, I could happily... Um, That's true.
1: Um, Unless you have x-ray vision.
0: Well. <laughs> well, there we go. Superman, he's
2: got that. Yeah, It's, re- it's really interesting, the way the brain, the brain works with the sense of uh, hearing, at least, people that have cochlear implants and whatnot, or even people that have been profoundly deaf. They're now, and, and with sight as well, with bionic eyes, making people see and hear when they've never been able to before. And in some cases, the brain didn't even know what to do because they were they were blind or, or deaf from birth. Uh, brains do learn. Um, They're very plastic. So it'd be really interesting if uh, all of a sudden one day we did have super hearing, how the brain would adjust.
1: Well, one of the stories we did last year was Tonga, where American soldiers are getting radar that's hooked up to little sensors on their tongue, little buzzers on their tongue, and they get basically their brain re- rewires. At first they just sort of get a rough idea by feeling on their tongue, but eventually the brain's wiring takes over, and they get so used to getting pictures from the radar or the sonar around them through their tongue that they get a visual picture in their mind as if there was a real picture, so that it acts like a sixth sense. Your brain is quite happy to wire in a sixth sense if you hook it in through your nervous system in another way. Similarly, there was something on... There's a superhuman BBC series that's been shown on free-to-air TV here. There's a little boy who was born sighted but lost his eyes very young to cancer, both eyes, but he'd obviously had his eyes long enough to develop his visual cortex the way a sighted person does. He worked out echolocation. He made little clicks with his mouth and he was able to hear with normal hearing. They tested his hearing. It wasn't super. With normal hearing, he was able to get a picture from the echoes that were going off things in the room or outside. He was able to work out when there was a hole in front of him. He was able to move between... If there was a small space between two cars that were parked, he could walk right through it and not hit either of the cars. It was that precise. And yes. he's not the only person who does it. He's just the best self-taught echolocator.
2: I, I guess we all must do it to some extent. It must go on. We just don't know.
1: No, a lot of people don't do it. This is why a lot of people that go blind or are born blind don't have echolocation, and they're helpless. Like He actually tried to go to a school for the blind, and discovered that he couldn't because when he was there, he, he brought a ball along. He wanted to play football like he does at home, he wanted to run around like a normal kid. Oh, right. And the teachers wouldn't let him run around like a normal kid because they worried that he and the other students would get hurt because mm-hmm. they couldn't see where they're going. his case, he can play basketball. He can put the ball through the hoop. He's that good. He can do all the things a normal kid does, literally running around, because his echolocation is that good, his visual. Cortexes processed all the information but most blankets can't do that most people have to be taught how to do that
0: another one that i love is the whole um experiment and i've seen it on a bbc documentary where someone got a special pair of glasses that flipped the entire world upside Mm, down i was just thinking of this and and over a period of time and it's a hilarious documentary because you watch this chap trying to catch a ball to start with and ride a bike and it literally looks like a two-year-old trying to catch a ball once his field of vision had been turned upside down, 180 degrees. And then um, he's trying to make a cup of tea and burning himself with the kettle. And over a period of, say, six weeks, he becomes completely proficient with um, the whole world, his whole field of vision being turned upside down, 180 degrees. Then they take the glasses off him, and And he has to go through the whole process again. It's, Mm. It's amazing.
1: The plasticity of the brain. It's an awesome thing. I'm reading a book on the evolution of human vision at the moment by Mark Canguizzi. And he uses the model of superpowers to explain the different roles that colour vision play, or different that, that vision plays in our evolution and why our eyes work the way they do and why we see the world the way we see it. So, for example, he looks at the evolution of colour, particularly adding red-green to what most animals have was just yellow-blue colour vision. And red-green, the sensors are exactly where they need to be for us to detect small changes in colour in human skin. Right. And that our skins are actually a display of what's going on in our mind and our body so that we can read people's emotions by the tiny, tiny changes in colour, slightly more red, slightly more green or blue in their skin. We can tell where bruises are. We can tell when you're angry or when you're upset or when you can't breathe or all sorts of things just by tiny, tiny changes in colour. And that this is a, a... Type of uh, empathy. So we're empaths. So we go on to the great experiment. We want to find out if you have superpowers. So listeners, this is what we want you to do. If you follow the instructions exactly, we'll find out if you can read my mind. I'm going to project a thought to you. Now, I'll give you a few constraints so you have a few ideas what's going on. But what I want you to do right now is get a piece of paper and a pen, and I want you to be near a keyboard so that you can send us an email, or a text, or a tweet. So, you've got your pen and paper. Alright, I've got my number down and I'm thinking of it. Now, I want you to think of a number. This is what I'm projecting to you. The number is between 1 and 50. It's two digits. Both digits will be odd but they have to be different. For example, you can't choose 11. Now I want you to get the first number that comes to mind that I'm trying to send to you that you're receiving because if you think about it too much, you get your own number and not my number. Write it down. Write it down straight away. Email to diffusion at 2scr.com. That's diffusion at 2scr.com. If you're on Twitter, send your number to at Ian Wolfe, Wolf and we'll be able to get the results from all the listeners and find out which of you were able to correctly get the number and which ones were not. And we'll see if we can build up a bit of a statistical picture of just how super-powered our listeners really are. And then next week, we can go through the science of it and see why it works. So this is your last chance to email me the number that I'm thinking of, that hopefully you're also thinking of. So it's diffusion at 2scr.com. That's diffusion at 2scr.com. On Twitter, it's Ian Wolf 2 os Now, I'm going to reveal the number to you. Now, usually, I'm within one or two. So, it may not be exact, but I want you to email me if it's within two of the number I'm thinking of. And the number I'm thinking of is 37. So, send email to diffusion at 2 if you got within two of that. And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. If you'd like to contact us, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions, or psychic impressions, if you'd like to broadcast a story on Diffusion and hear your voice, communicating science on radio, then send an email to diffusion at 2scr.com. That's diffusion at 2scr.com. Or subscribe to our podcast on our website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program were Mark West and Aaron Cook. Diffusion has been produced in the studios of 2SCR Sydney and is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.